Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Be Your Yes Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gould. This is episode six, a bonus episode where I'm interviewing someone very important to me, my husband, Glenn Gould. Welcome, Glenn. Hello. Glenn is an interventionist in reading and math at our children's school. He also is going to school full-time, as many teachers do, to get his elementary teaching license, and I couldn't be more proud of him. One of the things that continue to come up with a lot of our friends and family members is this time as parents and teachers, how do we navigate this not only online learning, but transfer of responsibility for that learning from the teacher being the facilitator to um, us as parents having that responsibility. Because one of the things that Glenn and I have talked a lot about is just navigating the idea of empathy, empathy for our children, empathy for our teachers, um, and being able to successfully be teachers at home when that isn't natural for a lot of people. And many of our friends and us included with our younger daughter is experiencing a lot of frustration and negativity towards online learning. And so my question is, what what can you do when your kids are feeling super frustrated about the content and just feel like they're not able to accomplish it and start resenting school. So this is um, this is a big concern in all of this digital learning is learning outcomes. What do we actually expect for a student to get from what we're doing? This is something that it takes a little bit more of a step forward to think about. You have to think about what you want the end to look like before you start. So when we sit down with a student to um, teach them some content, be it math or reading, what we're really concerned about is what will that student actually get out of the situation? So it can be a very real situation in, in this time, especially with a parent and a student sitting down and arguing for an entire math lesson, reading lesson, whatever. If you sit down as a parent and you want to teach your child multiplication with the basic algorithm and you suddenly realize they learned a different way. That may not be a realization right away. You can actually argue with your kid back and forth and you guys can go to a place where you're no longer learning math. You're just fighting with each other. Then you can end up with that student with the right answer to the question, but no real learning outcome. They got the right answer. You told them they were wrong the whole time. Now you feel bad as a parent because you were trying to teach them a different way than it used to be. And now the learning outcome that you got out of that is almost non-existent. If you sit and have a terrible time trying to learn something, chances are good you did not learn it. Well, and it sounds like chances are good that the learning outcome becomes resentment, frustration, stress instead of the actual content. So that's just the thing is that these are little impressionable minds here that we're working with. That's what we're trying. That's what we're trying to do is to give these kids the ideas and the thoughts that they can go out into the world with. 
problem is that these kids are so impressionable. So you can have a child that's loved school the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then these two to three months of terrible, not really school can totally change their, their perspective of school. They see this as their school. They see this as different. But now they just don't like it. And that could be something that transfers to the future when we do actually get back into buildings. Mm -hmm. And when you say the online learning, you know, you mentioned the word terrible is, you know, for our for our older child, the online learning, he did it. He got it done. It was just a thing that he needed to do. And the terrible never came from the teacher themselves. We've been really lucky. We have two of the most incredible teachers um, for our children. And even with the Zoom calls, even with the individual check-ins, um, it still just didn't feel right. And so talk about how um, empathy could kind of uh, help teachers get through this time as well and not feel so, because I think teachers take it really hard. So that's going to be a hard thing as well. And I don't think of myself as a parent advocate only. I also think of myself as a teacher advocate. I think that in general, we all need to be feeling this empathy for each other. As a parent, you need to think about that teacher sitting at home. A teacher is a passion position. They didn't do this for just a job or just a paycheck. They did this because this is a passion for them. This is something that they love. And it's been taken away from them. It's been changed entirely. They're trying their best in all of this situation. Believe me when I tell you, your teacher wants the best learning outcome. They want to do what's best for for you. And honestly, if they're overloading you with stuff, it's because they're trying so hard to help that they're overhelping. Mm. Now, this this is a part where you have to think about teachers having empathy for the parent. And then the parent is sitting there at home being overwhelmed by too many things. The best way the best way to stop this is parent teacher partnerships. Mm. You have to partner with your teacher. And honestly, in this hard time with all of our emotions so high, people are going to be, they're going to get their feelings hurt. It's going to happen. We need to be empathetic with each other and we need to treat each other with this love of understanding that really, we really need to get us through this time. And honestly, even if you are sitting at home thinking, oh my God, this teacher is overloading me. Why is she, why is he or she doing this? Why is she giving me so much? I had to work all day. I have to do this with my student. My student's upset. Know that that was not the intentional outcome. And you as a parent have a choice in this. You can change the outcome. You can change the outcome by how you do things. If you see upset and you see frustration and you or your student, you have the right to take a break. You have the right to even walk away if you need to. You may never come back to it. And that can be fine. What we really need to worry about is what are our children getting out of this? What are they getting out of what we are doing? Yeah, and school is, traditional school is such a complex social system. It's a culture, it's a, it's, it's an entire immersive experience that they're just not getting here at home. And as much as, you know, I see teachers across Facebook, you know, across the nation, they're doing, um, you know, read alouds with their kids and they're doing drive-bys and they're doing all kinds of different strategies. And um, 
it's bringing smiles to kids' faces because at the end, don't you feel like what kids will remember from the learning was not the content, but the relationship with the teacher? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that comes down to what we think of and what we present as school. Um, Honestly, the bare minimum of what we're doing right now is math and reading assignments. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you from an inside perspective, that's not school. Math and reading are tools that we use to access the whole child. There are so many things that we do in school that have nothing to do with math and reading. They really are just a tool that we use. Um, And in this time, honestly, it's, it's still a tool that we can use to access these students, but I don't feel we should prioritize it. I feel that we should use it as a way to access the other parts of students. We can't always just call a student for a personal reason, but we can Zoom call a student about math or reading and not really be concerned with math and reading during that math and reading. We can reach out to a child and give them a smile, give them some hope, give them the idea that we're going to make this through together. Ask them about something that they're looking forward to when we come back. Give them the idea that this is now and what we have is a future. Mm. Yeah. And it reminds me of um, Violet has a, you know, our daughter has a paraprofessional who just, you know, in the mail, she wrote this beautiful letter to Violet And what I loved about it is, you know, and I'm a big letter writer and I love handwritten notes in the mail, but the thing that captivated me about this para is that she not only wrote to Violet, but she asked her very specific questions and asked her, invited her to be her pen pal. And it was the biggest smile I had seen on our daughter's face in forever um, because of that personal connection. And you know, I was on a call the other day with the CDC and, and ASCD and, you know, the, the lady from CDC was talking about how, you know, they've tracked uh, when tragedy has happened, you know, across the world. So when um, Ebola crisis happened and 9-11 happened in Oklahoma City bombing, they actually look at what the effects of that are after it's already occurred. So they look at what we can do for children and families after it happens, because all of us experience some kind of level of a post-traumatic stress um, reaction. So it could be manifest as anxiety or depression or with students, hyperactivity, things like that. And um, it was interesting because one of the things that they said is empathy and resiliency is what we have to teach more than ever. And they focused on this idea of um, blooms, uh, or sorry, Maslow over blooms. Yeah. And see, that's, um, it's a way to put it that really only educators are going to see. So you really have to explain what Maslow and bloom are about. Um, and the brief thing to say about them is that Maslow believes that a student needs to have all of their base needs met before they can accelerate their learning, before they can Mm -hmm. be in a place where they can learn, they must have all of these needs met. And they go in a pyramid from things that you need just to live, things that you need to be comfortable and happy Mm -hmm. all the way up. And then finally, 
friendly you can teach a student. And that's where we think of Bloom is Bloom's just talking about how can we take that cognitive ability to the next level? How can we take students just learning and regurgitating information to actually synthesizing, analyzing, and creating new things? Mm -hmm. So it's important to say because we are going to have this argument in education over the next year of what which do we put all of our eggs in where where which basket gets the eggs and honestly each basket's going to have to get some eggs and we're going to have to talk about where that goes but we can't have both we can't fit a year and a half worth of learning and also support students' uh, emotional well-being. We can meet in the middle somewhere and we can get in there, but keep in mind that the people that are saying we need this acceleration um, in in our next couple years of school are also not considering the social emotional um, aspects of this. So we do have to figure out what that looks like. We of course want our students to continue to learn and to continue to get quality learning outcomes. But what we're saying is if you don't focus on Maslow's hierarchy of needs first, those outcomes won't be there. They just mm -hmm. won't. If a child hasn't eaten and doesn't have love in their life, chances are they're not gonna care about math or division or reading or science or whatever mm -hmm. because they are stuck in that reactionary human state. Mm -hmm. Well, and we've known about this as educators forever and ever, right? We we're trained in this. Um, and we always worry in the fall. We have these conversations about, oh, I was so I've been so worried about this particular kid over the summer because I don't know what home life is like, or I do know what home like it life is like. And that's why I'm scared. One of the conversations I had with some English language acquisition teachers that I support is we were talking about how we just got our state assessment scores of language, you know, their proficiency levels. And they took this test back in January and we just got the results. And so now, you know, it's, um, I don't even know what month it is. May is it? It's May. It's Cinco de Mayo. Um, and what I discovered in our conversations is we were planning for instruction based on their results in January, but that's six months from now. And so the students, we, we came to the conclusion that the students that you have in front of you, if we go back um, to in-person or even when we're on virtual in the fall, are not the same child that they were six months ago. And so I want people to really hear that. Um, you may have had a student, you know, that was performing really well and socially really well adjusted um, in early March when we all left. You have to realize you may see that student and be able to embrace them and talk to them. And on the surface, they seem fine. But all of us have experienced some level of disruption uh, and change and trauma during this time. So it's even more essential, more essential that we focus on that social and emotional support. Because for our English language learners, for example, if they've only spoke Spanish for the last six months, their language proficiency level in English is going to go back, right? They're going to have some regression. And so we were just talking about how you may be planning for grade level instruction or that level of language in the fall, but your plans may go to waste. So the big question I have is how do teachers plan this summer 
knowing that the students that they get have just experienced all of these things. Like, cause I feel like traditional planning isn't necessarily going to work. And see, that's where we have to be is we know how to traditionally plan, but we know that's not going to work in this environment. So we have to use what we know to plan for what we can. And that's just the thing is that most uh, most places that are going to be successful are going to have multiple contingency plans. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, we are planning for the unknown and it's hard to say, well, this is the answer. Because quite frankly, we don't know what the answer is. And if we are just going to say one thing is the answer and stick with it, chances are it's not going to be right. We are going to have to evolve. We are going to have to take all the ideas inside Mm -hmm. the box, outside of the box, Mm -hmm. all of them, and figure out how we're going to do this. Because the fact of the matter is, is that any school that has zero remediation plan and, and is not planning for this social emotional impact of students returning is very likely to fail. Mm-hmm. If you think that we can go back to school and have everything exactly like it was, you're very much living in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. We want um, we want to have great outcomes when we come back, but to be honest, we don't exactly know what that looks like. And we're really going to have to compile, we're going to have to communicate and collaborate as educators to figure out what that looks like. And I think it's okay. We have to give ourselves permission as parents and teachers to be okay with not knowing that outcome be okay with knowing that we are going to serve the basic needs of our teachers, right? Because I think about the emotional impact that teachers are going through um, and also our children. So when you talked earlier about having empathy, right? And I mentioned resiliency, those basic human conditions, if we can focus on that, we have to let go of, you know, because, you know, as teachers, we are all about control, right? We want to control the outcome. We have to keep things orderly. And now is the best time to try and let go of that and flood our minds with empathy and courage and resiliency. So I appreciate your time um, that you took today, Glenn. Um, I was going to ask just one simple thing, you know, it's teacher appreciation week. And I've been struggling with this week because in many ways, Uh, It's difficult that the nation is talking about budget cuts across every district. And during a pandemic, our teachers are already taxed and it's teacher appreciation week. It's like, wow, I wish I could give every teacher a million dollars and a beach vacation for six weeks away from everyone. But what message do you have uh, for teachers in terms of how to take care of themselves because summer's right around the corner. Um, what are ways that teachers can can kind of let go for a little bit? Well, and that's kind of hard to say. We are wrapping up here, and in the next few weeks, we'll be finished with just about everything. As far as teachers go, I mean, you already know this, but focus on what you can say goodbye to the kids with. Focus on anything mm-hmm. that you could have them celebrate, anything that they could show off or I don't know, something they've been doing here in the quarantine that they could show to their friends as a culmination to the end of the year. Anything to actually culminate this as a, this is the end for for our whole year. This is a way to wrap up our beautiful package that we had. And I know this last bit of package wasn't beautiful, but consider everything you did this year. You had a a beautiful year. You had Mm -hmm. a beautiful package. Wrap it up nicely. Finish it off strong. 
And for students, the same thing. Let's just go into this summer ready to renew our resolve and become better people. And as teachers know that your voice is so important in this, this really is a reset button on education. And a lot of things will go back to the same. Some things we can change, but really just be vocal, be active in in your community. We we need to change this and we need to do some of these things we've been saying that we're going to do for years that we've just been afraid to do. Some of these different changes with project-based learning, group uh, group learning, uh, different ways that we do things, uh, less traditional ways that we do things. The, this is the time to really be thinking about what, what does education look like when we go back. Mm-hmm. So taking that pause this summer to really get inspired and yes. creative. So picking up a book or just... Um, just being patient with yourself. Sometimes I just find myself sitting outside and just trying to activate that creative side of myself. Like, how is this experience nurturing my creativity, nurturing my brain, nurturing my body and my heart um, and that whole person? And I think it's just so important teachers to be okay with not having the answers. That's not what we're looking to. We're looking to teachers to continue loving our children, continue being dedicated. Don't give up on them, even when they get frustrated, even when they elect to not do the online learning. It's not, it's not you. It is absolutely the situation, and you are still the anchor for our children, and we appreciate you beyond, beyond measure. I think this summer more than any, I know we always like get super excited for summer. Um, This summer more than, than ever, please, please realize how incredibly important you are to the existence of humanity. And parents, parents, this week is teacher appreciation week. Please know that it doesn't have to be big. If you want to give flowers or a hundred dollars, fantastic. But if all you do is an email to your teacher, just simply saying thank you goes so far. Um, Sitting in a teacher's uh, desk, reading one email from a a happy parent is the best thing on earth. Mm -hmm. And if you can get five in a day or 20 in a week, you can really make it you can make a teacher's life bright this week. So please reach out in any way you can to your teacher to say that you love them. Yeah. And with that, we're going to conclude our episode. Glenn, I appreciate you coming on and we appreciate you teachers. We appreciate parents. Hang in there. You've got this.